Welcome, everybody, to the green team of the Legendarium podcast. We are back with Robin Hobb and the Tawny Man trilogy. We are doing book two, Golden Fool. I always mess up the titles, but I'm glad I got that one right. And with me today, I have Kipton. Hey, yo. And Sean. Hello, with a new mic. Oh. I also have a new mic. Well, really an old one. <laughs> We're upgrading as we go through the uh, Realm of the Elderling series. So before we get into uh, any specifics, I want people to go to the Legendarium's Discord so they can, you know, come hang out with us, chat, have friendly conversations, and nothing gets personal or nobody attacks each other, I think, and um, ask us questions about this episode. I think we got one from <laughs> AV1. um yeah so so come hang out uh first off let's let's do how we always do it non-spoiler thoughts on golden fool tawny man uh the most middle book of middle books kip i'll let you uh, go to town (laughs) yeah uh definitely a middle book things go along the plot kind of happens but also things stay very much the same and there's some lovely character moments in here. There's also a time when the subtext finally became text. People acknowledged things. And so for that, it's almost getting a five star, but no, it's getting like a 4.25 from me. Wow. I mean, for you, that's practically a five star. Let's be honest. Maybe for other people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. That's right. For me. <laughs> um, yeah. Sean, how did you, uh, how do you remember this book? Yeah. Um, I thought that uh, Hobb could have played it safe um, because it involves Fitz returning to Buckkeep. That's not spoilery. I can just say that. It involves Fitz returning to Buckkeep, and she could have just picked up from where Assassin's Quest left off and had him continue these relationships. But I thought she introduced a lot of cool new characters and a lot of cool new dynamics to Buckkeep and Fitz's life and the lives of these other characters that we've come to know and love. And I thought that she executed that really well. Um, as far as a lot of the conflict, conflicts and plot stuff goes, I thought it was good. But as we've kind of mentioned so far, bit of a, a middle book situation going on here. But I, I did love it. Um, solid four stars for me. If we're giving our star ratings. I'm always impressed with this one, how like you guys kind of touched on how stagnant it is with the plot, yet how kind of, um, you know, engrossed you can still be with the story or at least the characters. I mean, cause it's just rooted in essentially one location for pretty much all of it, I think. And you're literally just having small moments with characters, uh, build and build and build until either some of them just come to a head, uh, some of them explode, um, some of them kind of just fizzle, and it's <laughs> kind of sad. And it's and it's to me, it's it's exciting than most books that have, you know, plenty of action. And I wouldn't say this book's like politics; like it's not all politicking. It's just it's just character relationships, nonstop. Other than maybe, you know, a couple B plots or C plots going you know, for the story. But for the most part, it's just fits and a revolving door of 
him dealing with uh, people in his life, past, present, uh, and frankly, future. And so, yeah, for me, it's, I, I finished this reread. And, um, it might be my favorite of the whole trilogy. We'll see. I say that every time I read a new, I reread the Hob <laughs> uh, books. Um, you, say, you say it the same way that Fitz says he's all grown up now. <laughs> is done. <laughs> wow. Me, me and Fitz both know we're lying to ourselves. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So for me, I, I don't know. I, I'm just always kind of, uh, in awe with Hob, how she can kind of do something you're not expecting, but it is again, secretly what you want. I would have thought I didn't want to stay at Buckkeep this whole time, but when I finished it, I'm like, yeah, that nailed everything I wanted. It's just Fitz dealing with <laughs> stuff or trying to, yeah, it's a it's a fun book. It's a good book. It took took me a while to fully get invested in these characters again, but I will talk about it. Do you um, do you think that this like you said it's a middle book and it definitely feels like a middle book? Like I feel like this is the definition of a middle book. But I'll say, Kip, did that do you bring that up as like a a negative? Do you think it actually hurt? Would you have preferred it to be more plot oriented? I think that there's a certain amount of stagnation, which is a positive in court life. And that can be fine to show. This The stuff that happened in here needed to happen, but I don't think perhaps enough stuff happened in order to have a satisfactory conclusion uh, to this like storyline of the Narcheska, etc. What would you guys like... Not to put you on the spot, uh, spot here, Sean, but would you? What would you say up to this point is like the trilogy about? I mean, the first part, the first book, we got Fitz coming back and rescuing Dutiful, essentially, and this one he's at Buckkeep. So I feel like it's you know in tow of what the series is about. But I'm curious what you guys think. I think it's about Fitz uh, breaking free of like who uh, breaking free of how his life was set up to be. And either coming to terms with and accepting parts of it, disregarding parts of it, figuring out who he is and like his place in the world, and then deciding what to do from there. And I think that this book makes progress there. So I think it's a fine entry into Fitz's character. And for being a book two of three in a sub-series, I think it does enough in that area to, to be a solid entry. I think this series is about uh, taking Fitz out of being a hermit. Yeah, basically. That's it. And yeah, you can go in any direction with that, I guess. I mean, the first one, you get like a small adventure. This one, he's back back home. The next one, I think you can know what direction it's going in by the end of it. <laughs> Maybe a bigger yeah. adventure, you know. Might be. Might be. All right. Let's dig into spoilers. Let's get into the meat of this book. Um, there's definitely a lot to talk about. And uh, yeah, so I'll do kind of, I'll try to do, if not a recap, just bullet points of like the plot uh, through this series or through this book. So essentially, I think we start with Fitz back at Buck and he's kind of dealing with the loss of Night Eyes. I think that's how, kind of how we're introduced is that Kip really is not a whole person anymore because he lost um, part of himself. A uh, big development is that Fitz agrees to be skill master. So we get him teaching um, dutiful, uh, a new character named thick 
and um, begrudgingly, I'd say, Chade to an extent, um, or tries to. Uh, but he's now taking over those duties and what it means after um, you know, following in Galen's footsteps, uh, so to speak. Uh, like I said, he meet and bond he meet and bonds with Thick, which I think is um a really big part of this book. Uh there's a whole side plot with Fitz trying to figure out the piebolds. Um, you know, uh, after the events of book one, figure out what they're doing, if they're still in town, he's getting threatened. Um I totally forgot about this part in the book. <laughs> but um or like how it wrapped up and then when it did, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember now. Uh, the disobeying direct orders. <laughs> That's Fitz. Um, a big chunk of this book is about Fitz and the Fool, uh, or Lord Golden, and um, the development in their relationship, or you could say the opposite of a development, I guess, uh, a negative development. Uh, we meet the Narcheska and her people. They come over, and there's mystery there between her uncle and. Um, Tattoos, I'd say. <laughs> um, we get Fitz. Again, this is all a buck, so let's keep it grounded. It's all in this location. We have Fitz and Dreaming with Nettle, uh, which I thought played a bigger role than I remembered, but uh, she is popping into his dreams, and that's his birth daughter. Uh, Hap being a terrible son, <laughs> or getting into trouble. Not really terrible, just not parented correctly um he's trying to get him out of trouble his haps and buck for the first time and getting seduced by women not being responsible with his new in, um apprenticeship and fitz has to deal with that while trying not to be seduced by jenna or things like that um and all of that's essentially just going back and forth in fitz's life at Buckkeep while he's trying to adjust um essentially being not fitz being tom badgerlock and being undercover so, um, yeah, that's why I think this is kind of a personal story. And this book feels like it's just revolving door of people. So Kip, let's start with Fitz going back to Buck without night eyes. What is your, I'd say, what do you think the most interesting part is of them starting the story that way with, without night eyes. And then he's essentially goes straight to Chade and it's dutiful. Well, it removes the last, uh, the last real barrier to Fitz living at court, which was Night Eyes could not live at Buck Castle. Good point. Could not live there, could not be happy. That would be a betrayal of his bond and his oath if he stayed there and Night Eyes had stayed alive. So... Uh, Night Eyes kind of had to die and that's why last book I was not surprised at all when it happened I felt like an idiot this book when I was like oh yeah he had to die yep. <laughs> it was like this, this series couldn't have gone on or at least uh, same as Tom Badgerlock if Night Eyes was still alive yeah and Fitz is going to have to learn how to grieve like an adult and you know it's another step in him growing older and maybe just maybe this experience will teach him a little bit more than he somehow learned during his adolescence in how to function as a normal human being and not be dramatic about everything. Maybe. Still up for debate. So Fitz is now essentially Tom Badgerlock and he's going to be um, 
Lord Golden's servant and bodyguard, so to speak. But in reality, he's going to be the, as we said, skill master. What do you, I guess, Sean, what do you think is the most interesting aspect of him being the skill master? Because he does it begrudgingly. If you remember, Chade kind of conned him into it saying, well, we'll bring Nettle over here if you don't do it. Um, but I think there's a lot of directions to go. It, it helps us bond with Dutiful. Um, Thick, I think, is a big portion of it. And then just kind of interacting with Chade in that equal status almost. Yeah, so um, I think just who his students are and his relationship to all of them um, makes it makes him being skill master very interesting, and also like his upbringing with the skill. It's it's like an absolute motley crew, and just this should not work at all. And like <laughs> they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel with with a coterie here, because yeah, Fitz was abused by his skill master, and like leached from from Verity for a lot of skill purposes as well. Plus, he was really hitting the Elf Park T a lot. So, take all that, and you have someone... And also, he's very un, untrained because of that, and he hasn't really used the skill very much the last 15 or so years. So, despite all that now, he has to teach um, Dutiful, who is someone that the court and the crown have really high expectations for. Um, and he needs to be strong in the skill. Um, Chade, who is on also a really weird dynamic because it's his mentor in other areas, all the assassin aspects of his life and the poisons and the, uh, the treachery. Um, so that's a weird dynamic there. You're teaching your former teacher and then Chade's really pushy about that as well. Um, you throw thick in there and, you know, thick's, a handful for various reasons, but a lot of raw talent there. Um, so it, it it is a lot of interesting dynamics, which was a lot of why I love this book because I was really invested in, in those dynamics and how Fitz had to uh, deal with teaching the skill. I had one thing to say about his position as skill master at Bucky Castle. I would say that in no way is his job description anywhere that short. He's oh, expected yeah, no to be skill master. He's expected to be guard. He's expected to be eventually Queen's guard. He's expected to be uh, involved in the court politics. And he's expected to be an assassin in waiting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and but also all while being like not truly at the court. Like you said, not, not eyes dying was... Yeah what he needed to return to Bucky, but he's not really truly returned. He's just there physically, but only a few select people actually know he's there. He's just kind of in the shadows still. He's still just doing like a couple of hours of classes in the morning. And that's what he's, that's it. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, sometimes when his students show up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, yeah, he, he's essentially being like a, a teacher, obviously, but also, you know, a parent to some of the, some of these students. Uh, and I think that's a difficult adjustment for him too. And in doing that, he's ignoring being a parent to Hap. So it's this weird dynamic where I think you guys pointed out, well, he's just got too much, you know, it's not just being a teacher. Plus dude doesn't even know that he is fits. He, you know, he thinks he's just Tom Badgerlock for 
right. at least most to, to start. Yeah, for most of the book, which is another interesting dynamic. So he knows there's something up. Yes. Yeah. From from early on, you can tell there's something up. Because of the way Fitz treats him, he's not always bowing down to him or, you know, treating with him with respect. Yeah. And, and he calls Verity's Tower, Verity's Tower, which, are, which gave him pause at one point. Right. I do. Yeah. I liked what you brought up, Sean, about it's, it's a, a distinction of who he's training. Um, you know, if we could talk about that a little bit. So he has Dutiful, right? Who is technically his, by blood, his son, but by, in another mm. world, his uncle. Well, it was his. Who body. knows how much the skill can transfer? I just assumed the body was his. So on a physiology, you know, on that level, it's his. But in, assume. in spirit, it's his. He's the uncle, right? In a sense, which is kind of or a cousin. So that's strange. Cousin, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, you have. Obviously, Hap, who he's not teaching, but he's um, a stepfather too, but raised him since he was young. He has his birth child, who he's dream talking to this whole time. Um, that he, that is like a relation, you know, Nettle, who doesn't know who her father is, similarly, like, and never met him, similar, similar fashion to Fitz and his father. They never met, really. Yep. Um, and then you have. Thick, which I think is the most interesting at all, which isn't obviously not related at all. Fit, um, thick is you know slow. I guess you say mentally challenged. Um, I think kind of like Down syndrome is what uh, I understood it to be. I think it's more autism. Okay, autism. Um, but I thought it was interesting their relationship because it uh, felt very similar to me, honestly, to Verity and um, Fitz, where Fitz is the only person really seeing this character's worth and showing him kindness uh, where in the same regard, Verity was one of the few ones to do that to, to Fitz when everyone else kind of judged them and belittled them for who they were and just how they were born. So again, he's not obviously a father, but just to have these kind of parental uh, or mentorish figures, like four children, it's, it's, it's just kind of a huge swing for Fitz. Seems exhausting. Yeah, and it just reminded me to like when Night Ice died when he said you're gonna have to change essentially, and it's like, mm. like this is a drastic change. I, I don't know, um, and that's kind of the crux of the book that I found most interesting, and it all kind of starts with this him being skill master. I thought you were saying Fitz has autism at first when he said it's like him and Verity. No, no, <laughs> Fitz has depression. Yeah, well, because he was a bastard, everyone at court looked at him differently and treated him differently, you know, and they, and everyone treats Thick differently for different I mean, reasons. I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't have good reasons to be depressed. I'm just saying he also has depression. Yeah. <laughs> that is definitely clear. Can we quickly talk about Jade and Fitz? And you guys kind of brought it up, but I like there are differing outlooks in the skill. Whereas Sean kind of brought it up how he was Fitz was trained he's more cautious with it he's scared to kind of take any risks where Chade is near the end of his life and he sees all this time wasted and now he has the skill potentially and he wants to take as many risks as he can um, I don't know about you guys but I thought that was a nice wrench into the relationship I would like it more if Fitz's attitude wasn't so clearly stupid uh because Fitz is willing to take 
risks only when he's been pushed to the brink. Uh, for example, he's just letting Nettle cry out in the skill for weeks on end. And knows there's something big out there that he's not trying to attract the attention of, but is just letting her wail for until something happens to her. That's his that's his plan. It's just until something happens to her because she's been skilling without my teaching or instruction, I'm just going to ignore this problem. Yeah, so that's a good point. So we have Nettle. That's a big deal throughout this kind of up and down. It comes through. Jade wants her to come to Buckkeep, be trained in the skill because of Dutiful's Coterie. Uh, obviously, Fitz does not want that. He wants her to stay out of the picture and be safe away from all this stuff. Uh, Sean, if you had to pick a side, well, you don't have to, but would you say one side is right in that argument? You know, when I was reading the book, I was like really against Nettle going to Buckkeep. Um, looking back, I think it's going to be the right call. Um, or like it would be the right call, but yeah, I, I was very against it when I first read the book. I mean, just, just cause I really was against, I, I felt for Fitz and that Nettle would be exposed to this lifestyle. I, I think there was probably a middle point somewhere with keeping her safe and away from Buckkeep. Um, and I think Chade, and probably to an extent, Ketrikin overreached when it came to dealing with Nettle, but it's it's a it's a it's a tough situation. I I mean I mean I think we all agree it probably should be Nettle's choice. I mean it's you know it's her life; she should have the options of what she wants to do. But I found it. Do you agree, Kip, or no? What asking a girl what she wants to do? Yeah, but she's young, and you know so. Burke's looking after her. Yeah, 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 until you turn 18, your parents get to make all your decisions. How old is she in this book? <laughs> old enough to see her uh, sibling get beaten. <laughs> well, if, well, if, if Kip's That's a wide range. Her, if Fitz is mid 30s, then she's probably, and he had her around 18. Yeah, Fitz is 35. Yeah, so he, she's probably like 18 ish, right? Damn, years. I read her way younger. I don't think that math works, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> when did he have her? I, I, 16, <laughs> 17? Uh, no, probably, yeah, probably like 16, 17. It's, yeah. All right. So, yeah, she's 19. But yeah, is close. he 35, though? He's no, 35. Like, In this book, he's 35. Or 34, yeah, something like that. Um, mm. So, anyway, I, I thought the more interesting thing was like the reasons why each person wanted her there. Like, Fitz was selfish because he's just scared and doesn't want her to get hurt, even though people get hurt. There's nothing you can really do about that in life. And Chade, and honestly, he's not doing it because it's best for Nettle. He wants to hear it because it's best for Dutiful and the crown. So it's both selfish reasons from two guys, you know, two men um, that aren't yep. looking out for the best in Nettle. That's what I found so interesting. I think I think Ketrigan brought that up to Fitz near the end when she had a conversation when he she finally told him she's coming. But Ketrigan brought up that Nettle was the heir. And that is another consideration that nobody has informed her of and might eventually be thrust in her face. And I don't know. It's like Fitz wants to keep Buck weep weak. Sorry. Fitz has no, Fitz has no consideration for the strategic and political strengths of Buck. 
he only has consideration for what does my queen ask of me in this moment in one specifically worded request. That's a good point. I don't, yeah, I just don't think he looks at the big picture like that. Like no, you're right. He doesn't. He doesn't. He just, yeah. He just thinks like, I'm here to serve dutiful Ketchikan in whatever literally they tell me, but they're not, he's not looking like, Oh, if Nettle comes here, it's best. No, that is the best for me. He has no all encompassing theory. He just likes writing out his plans for the, uh, he just wants to be left in his shed and write bad poetry. That's all he wants to do. I <laughs> know poetry and uh, the history of you know the realm of the elderlings. Um, all right, let's talk about him and Thick. Kip, what did you think about Thick? Because we didn't really get Thick in the first book, I don't think, or maybe a little bit. No, we Not definitely didn't. Not at all. So I mean, he's—I'd argue he's the second most important character in this book. Um, you know, he—he's arguably just stronger in the skill than Fitz is just on yeah. brute strength uh, with it. He's, and complexity. Yes. And complexity. Um, you know, he, we find he's being used by the piebalds to spy on Fitz and shade. Um, I don't know. What did you think about the relationship in the way that Fitz, I guess, kind of patiently decided to bond with him and bring him into the fold instead of, as Jade said, it just, uh, we could just murder him. <laughs> I mean, I think Fitz was the biggest proponent of murdering him at the start. I don't know. Did he say that? I think I don't think Chade was ever going to murder him. Chade was planning on keeping him around as a coterie member because he was the only such identified one. That's true. As soon as he imagined he was skilled. Uh so no, it was just Fitz who was like, we should murder him. And Fitz was forced into it. Fitz didn't do anything patiently. Fitz did things. The one plan that he thought had a benefit of working. Fitz was entirely practical in that consideration. Sure. He felt a bit of sympathy uh, for him eventually, but majorly, I think his relationship with, with thick is on a purely practical level. Um, I mean, it didn't end up that way. I mean, at first I would, uh, yeah, it probably did because, it was just another thing he had to deal with that he really didn't want to deal with. Yeah. The irony is that Fitz is treating thick better than almost anyone else in the castle, even though it's purely on a practical level, because Fitz actually does understand what it's like to be hap due to their skill in Lincoln bond. Right. But that, yeah, in that moment, I don't think it was practicality anymore. I mean, it took over half the book for him to realize that, but there was that moment when he put <laughs> together that he was like, Oh, this is how I was treated as a kid. And he, you know, there was empathy in that. Um, what do you think, Sean? About Thick? Yeah, Thick and Fitz, I guess. I mean, he. do you agree he was one of the bigger characters in this book or no? Um. Yeah, he was, he was a pretty big character. Like a headache for just, you know, he's always telling, Thick's always telling Fitz that he smells like dog. And if he's not doing that, he's just like yelling at him with a skill and just like really just handle handful to deal with but um i i think a lot of the book was fitz coming to term with thick's place in his life and how he's like deserves to have a position in the coterie and at buckkeep and uh, yeah 
I, I think that was a big part of the book and it was explored well. It also felt like that was the bulk of kind of like the comic relief, obviously not Thick's disability, but just yeah. the headaches that he caused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of comedy there fits and the uh, insults he'd throw his way and things like that. Um, which was nice levity uh, between Fitz messing things up in different magnitudes. I like yep. thick and dutiful bonding to make fun of Fitz. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Especially when they were learning how to kind of talk to each other with the skill one-on-one. Did you? Yeah. Did you want to bring anything up on the magic? Kip, you're the magic person with the skill. We learn a lot about oh, it, it. Yeah, we're learning a lot about it. And mm-hmm. th- these epigraphs from the skill scrolls have been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I read those. It, I mean, the, the one that was like, you don't want a perfectly balanced coterie. You, you want one with diverse features where one person will be strong and anchor and one person will. It's like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. I do remember liking a lot of the skill developments here. I've always been a big fan of the skill and you know, it, it's, it's given to us really piecemeal by Hob, but every time that we do get a little bit of skill knowledge, like I'm, I'm hungry for more. I'd love to see one of the diagrams, which locates the so-called arcs of magic. Mm-hmm. You want um, more? Yeah, I want, I want, I want to see one of those, and I also want to see like the development and construction of those arcs over time in the scholarly writings of Robin Hobb. Uh, but I wonder how much exactly these epigraphs can be trusted, and how much is what led to the denigration of the wit as a skill. Mm-hmm. I have thoughts on that that I can't share. <laughs> I also oh go ahead John I was just going to say I, I think another good thing involving Thick is uh, you know you always hear about how when a student is learning it is important for them to have colleagues and other students to kind of bounce off of and learn with so I think you even see examples of it in the book but I think Thick was really good for Dutiful's development yeah and vice versa I mean, Fitz is a student, but he is a canonically awful student. Yeah. Uh, so who has trouble communicating? So we'll see, like how how mm-hmm. this goes. Hopefully, I mean, already Fitz has learned more than he's learned at any prior point, right? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, yeah, his teachers were off. I mean, Galen was also probably the worst <laughs> teacher for him to have. Yeah, that was the worst. Verity, like, barely did it. Yeah. He didn't have the perfect... I I mean, it's a wonder he's even a competent teacher. Yep. You know, having to teach a spoiled brat and dutiful, and then, uh, you know, someone like Thick, who's, you know, a little mentally challenged. I I don't blame him to be like, there's just no way... And Jade, who doesn't listen to him, because (laughs) he's... The relationship between them has always been the exact opposite. Right. And I don't think he respects him in this regard with the skill. I really think that was... Absolutely doesn't. Absolutely doesn't. A big wedge where he thinks he's too, uh, again, he just doesn't take the risks that he should with this. And he, he just. Shade's going to screw up and die from this. Yeah, that annoyed me. I kind of want him to. I, I, that's what I wanted to bring up with you guys. So, like the skill, what doesn't, like, wouldn't, wouldn't, um, doesn't it seem think, like every other lesson is insanely dangerous? 
Yeah, why don't more people just die from this who aren't trained in it? Like, wouldn't Fitz be like, hey, Nettle, I need to train her, or else, like, that's the most dangerous thing if she messes with that. And no, he's not concerned (laughs) because it's not a problem yet. (laughs) Because Jade's just like drowning in it every time. He's like, dude, you gotta stop. (laughs) Nettle hasn't died in front of him yet, so he's not concerned. Yeah, I just thought like every time you see Che just lolling, you know, taking in more, overdosing on the skill, I'm like, is it why isn't getting <laughs> shredded to pieces? Yeah. Right. Anyway. Having to be reconstructed like an old yarn sweater, like. <laughs> Let's um Can we do a little bit of like the uh live ship crossover stuff? Oh, you don't have to twist my arm. That's like kind of, you know, first third of the book, so we, we can we can still hit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we'll blend that in, I guess, with Eliana too. Cause, so the live ship crew uh, make an appearance in this book. And if I recall correctly, it's Seldon, it is Jack, and it is... Um, Cirilla. Cirilla, right? I believe that's the three that we, from live ship, that show up. There's a fourth, but I don't recall who he is. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's with Cirilla, right? That helps um, kind of barter a little bit. Um, kind of her bodyguard. So, but those are the main three. I mean, I'll just first say, did you I'll ask Kip? Cause this was your first read. Did you expect to see anyone? I would have been, I did expect to see someone from Bingtown. Yes. Right, yeah. Did you expect <laughs> it to be these characters? I expected Selden to be involved. Oh, wow. I was hoping Cirilla remained in the past. <laughs> Fair. Did not make you uh, enjoy her anymore, being kind of the main part. No, of it really didn't, because she was also barely there. I <laughs> know. <laughs> she was the least important one out of. She the was three. there for like a couple lines in one scene, right? That's it. It was mainly a Selden thing. Yeah, yeah. it quickly turned into a Selden thing. She got upstaged in five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Business as usual. Yeah, so they sit in on a meeting. And essentially they're kind of trading favors. Um, But the big thing that really happens is that they find out that there's another dragon and Selden essentially, um, I guess, wants them to not kill the dragon, right? Yes. Isn't there, I I missed it in the audio book, but I'm pretty sure there's a conversation where Selden walks by uh, Fitz, right? And like stops. Twice. He also hears him skilling with Dutiful. Yes. I love that scene because dutiful omnidirectionally skills during a yeah. Royal audience. <laughs> yeah. Not fully trained. Great. Great. Super smart. Dutiful. Super smart. And it's Tintaglia's uh, yes. attention to the question that that should bring to a reader's head is like, Oh, Selden can hear this. What's the connection between right. Selden being an elderling and communicating with Tintaglia and that how that process happened and how that relates to the skill, maybe even the wit, because the dragons are kind of animals, but more so folks in skill. Like there's so many possible connections to make. I'm I think it became fairly clear that uh Selden was a skill user in live ships. At what point? That when he when he's just talking to Tintaglia? Yeah. So you think that like hearing do you think that strictly hearing a dragon is implies that you have some skill ability? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, though the passive reception is a lot less than uh, the ability to transmit back. 
and especially yeah. to summon or call a dragon. I do think there's like an initial level that's like not there yet. But, I, th- uh, I think there's like a tiny bit of skill magic in all of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just rises to the surface in some bloodlines. Mm-hmm. And if dragons are involved. And if dragons are involved, yeah, you get their skill affinity. Yeah. Or a piece of it. Cool stuff, though. Yeah, very cool stuff. And and we also get Tintaglia kind of jumping into Fitz's dreams um, mm-hmm. with Nettle. So it, I don't know. It was it was unexpected to me. I never would have guessed that they would have shown up in um, Buck. I was just hoping for like Brafton or Althea or something like that. But <laughs> I mean, Bucky Beep is where the rumors of dragons come from, right? Yeah. Tintaglia is very invested in finding a mate. That's true. Because apparently the, uh, the serpents did not come out great. That is true. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Shod knows. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, that was cool. I mean, I guess this can dovetail soon, but so, and Jack is also there and, uh, she obviously her first stop is to Lord Golden, and I thought that was a very um funny kind of introduction mm-hmm. to Fitz and Jack, where she assumed he was Lord Golden, um, and the fool's mysterious ways of kind of communicating between <laughs> between them. Um, oh, that, and that's what set everything off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when you think about it, Jack played. I mean, kind of like a catalyst role in this in this story, and she has a couple scenes. Mm. But the fun thing about the world building of this world is that no, Jack is not the catalyst. Only Fitz's actions matter. That was a poor wording. I should have. And so, <laughs> and okay. so, no, Jack's actions were inevitable if the fool hadn't communicated with Fitz. I feel like we're dancing around a little bit. Should we go into um, how far are we into this episode? Is it time to go? All right, 40 minutes in. Should we just go into the Fitz and the Fool? Sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, so like we said, <laughs> Jack uh, is in the Fool's room. Fitz walks in, blumber, you know, blunders around, is confused, um, asking about Lord Golden. He's like, I'm not Lord Golden. And the Fool walks in, and it's like, you know, it's the first time we see them kind of flustered. More than flustered. Yeah, it was very, it's kind of jarring on first read. And you're like, oh man, something bad, <laughs> you know, happened. Um, you know, awkward leaving between Jack and essentially they don't really have a big blow up, but it leads to um, Fitz kind of eavesdropping on them and uh, Fool changing the way they speak. Uh, you know, <laughs> he notices they speak differently. The way they talk about Fitz is makes him uncomfortable <laughs> so to speak and um <laughs> really his trust uh is a little i don't know if it's i guess he feels his trust is broken uh learning that the fool frankly loves him in you know more ways than i think he was expecting more, more ways than he was willing to admit to himself that he wants to fully Yes. Yeah. Good point. Admit to himself. Uh, and that's the first part of it. And then I think a chapter or two later, they literally have it out with each other where Fitz kind of says some, some mean, I will never love you. 
<laughs> Straight up says that. Asks the fool what they are, who they are, um, you know. Uh, yeah. And there's, frankly, a bunch of little, well, I wouldn't say a little bit, but quite a bit of homo- homophobia on Fitz's part. Oh, quite uh, a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Frankly, Jenna had the worst at first. I was like, oh, Jenna, I hate you. Or not Jenna, I'm um, Starling. I'm like, Starling, you piece of garbage. And then Fitz comes with this. I'm like, oh, Fitz, just as bad, <laughs> just as, bad as them. Starling really yeah. stirred the pot. Yeah, Starling. I, that conversation, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So why, Star- you, why do you care so much? <laughs> Drunk yeah. Starling is not nice Starling. Yeah, it really, really came out. I was like, fool was right all along about her. Um Anyway, off topic, but yeah, so they the have fool was, the fool was right about her. <laughs> and so they really have a brutal and, um, you know, head to head conversation about it. Uh, Kip, what was your thoughts when you had that, that chapter finally happened and, um, your thoughts on Fitz and the fool? I know this is kind of a big thing well, for you, right? For like the first half of this book, I was like, wow, this book is just so quietly homoerotic. And I am I'm loving this interplay of Fitz and the Fool just completely ignoring their gender differences. And then uh they had it out. And Fitz all of a sudden it's like, wait. You meant those things you said? <laughs> and you're you're telling me that you play a different character sometimes? I don't know who you are. What are you? You know. Fitz is so infuriating like during so many of these parts. <laughs> <laughs> so annoying. That was like all time. That was like one of the most I mean What is <laughs> your real name? Again. Again. <laughs> The fool just li- repeating. I told you once, you can call me beloved. <laughs> right. Well, so it's interesting. I think I wrote down like, so why do you guys think, I think the fool says it, but why do you think the fool never tells him how they truly feel about him? I mean, God, how many baby gays have I talked through? Don't tell your straight crush that you're gay just because you want them to date you. It's <laughs> never going to work. Yeah, that's basically where I landed on on that too. Like I think he he knows that right. Fitz is just isn't gay. I mean, at least that's how I read it also. I don't think he is. Even if he pretty- even if he is gay, he's not ready for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think fool kind of said that. Like said it, it I didn't tell you because it wouldn't you know, wasn't important to our relationship, so to speak. That's yeah. it. You don't have to tell people you have crushes on them. That would be a horrible rule if you did. Plus, I think that, like, the conversation towards the end hints toward the fool being essentially saying, like, my love for you is so vast, and, like, that part of it is part of it, but it's not exactly the most important part. So I think that's also why he didn't really need to bring it up. That's true. That's true. The the fool's love is absolute. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I think the fool would also maybe maybe this is like copying him out and it's not satisfying, but as a white prophet, he probably has some sort of inclination that that's not what he's that's not the route he's supposed to take here. You know? It doesn't help at all. It just had it was just brought to the forefront 
because that's how it went down. And in the end, it was a healthy thing. I think a white prophet has to love their catalyst. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's dark. That's dark. <laughs> <laughs> it's messed up when you really think about it. <laughs> yeah. And the fool knows it's messed up. And the fool is like, this thing that I do to you, this love, it has costs. It has yeah. pain. Yeah, it must be painful for him. And it's like he, the fool said, like, you were the one who had to go and bring it up because of your ignorance and your, you know, kind of honestly homophobia that you had to bring this, yep. our, our relation, you had to bring this out in the open when you couldn't just love me <laughs> unequivocally like I love you. Um, but, you know, I mean, a big thing uh, I guess we didn't really bring up is that throughout the book, people, he's Lord Golden's servant and there's a lot of rumors, you know, that he starts hearing that you're lying in bed with, you know, Lord Golden and things like that. And I thought that was, that was like one of the more real world things to me where it was like, you know, you hear the thing people, Fitz says, you hear the things people are saying about us Fitz, and the fool's like, who cares? Yeah. Why do you care? Why does that bother you? Yeah. 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 You know, it's not true. We don't. And, um, I thought that was really, you know, powerful stuff and just really showed Fitz's immaturity. Like it just like to the, and just how damaging that was to the fool, how mean that is to the fool that you even have to, like, you know, it's, that's not happening. Why are you even? You also, know? how many of those rumors are because you're clearly terrible at your job <laughs> and people are just trying to explain why you would possibly be hired. Yeah. <laughs> so true. I thought it was interesting how the similarities where, you know, the fool not telling his feelings to Fitz, like was kind of um, contrasted to Fitz not telling Burrick and Molly that he's alive. Like it just felt a little hypocritical um, in a sense. Uh, I didn't know if you guys put that together, but it's like, all right. Fitz only a little hypocritical. What? Yeah. It's like how, you know, you're like Fitz isn't telling Molly and Burke cause he's that he's alive. Cause it would hurt them. It would damage their relationship knowing this information. Whereas the fool did the same thing. He's not telling Fitz his, you know, that he's attracted to him in that way because it would only hurt fits and things like that. There's a difference though, because sure. people way? other than Fitz know Fitz's identity. And no one except the fool could tell Fitz a a anything about how the fool felt. Right. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Other people could tell Molly like, and Burke that Fitz. Is yeah. Alive. Like, like the fool told literally probably just Jack, maybe Althea, but the only thing that the fool did was carve a statue and other people inferred things. Right. I was going to say he didn't, they didn't tell Jack. No, no. We'll just carve Paragon to look like Fitz. And that's all that needs to be said. I mean, what better showing of love and adoration is there than that? Uh, Fitz, your secret is not going to be kept. Some, someone's going to find out. Nettle's going to find out in a bad way. And you're going to be like, Oh, Sorry, I stayed quiet for 15 years. Right. <laughs> Wasted those 15 years off in a shed. I think it's also, maybe you guys are going to be better and smarter than me at diving into this, but the fact, like, just love and, f and fits. Like, does he even have a concept of unconditional love? Like, either the way he was raised, the way he was treated. Like, he... Not not giving him an out or anything, but 
knowing all encompassing and unconditional love. I, I just feel that's so foreign to him. Like just, just, yeah. does he even it's understand? Ex- it's extremely foreign to him. It's extremely foreign to him. He has an ideal of it, which is why he and Molly uh, is this such this ideal in his head. And he and Night Eyes are this ideal in his head, but he's horrible at recognizing the realities in any concrete instance in the real world. I think his relationship with Molly would do a disservice to, well, like, I think it'd be a reason to why he's reacting it's, so badly because in his mind, it's like, oh, I, I loved Molly and, like, I was, you know, just rabid for her and just, they, you know, he always wanted to, like, get into her bed all the time. So, like, in, in reality, it was an infatuation, horny teenager thing. So he, he could be kind of connecting the dots there. But I'm surprised that, and I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I was thinking the same thing. How he, he doesn't really know, he's never known to love anyone. But I'm surprised that his relationship with Night Eyes didn't allow him to make that connection of some sort of love. That Night Eyes was constantly calling him out for disregarding it. Mm-hmm. Because that was the closest relationship I could find, think of that was like, yeah, had that kind yeah. of love. Mo- I have so many hot takes about Molly. I mean, we'll save that, honestly. That, <laughs> and that I was always like, you're being super selfish, Fitz. You're being super <laughs> selfish, Fitz. You're being super selfish, Fitz. And there's like Verity, but that was like a lo- mostly loyalty to yeah. King. I wouldn't even say Burke. I mean, I, no. to an extent, Burke. I, you know, the second biggest one behind Night Eyes? Well, I mean, The Fool, obviously. Um, I would say Patience. I mean, that's the one he got. Uh, in a set, uh, Farseer that showed maybe even a hint of that compared to any other character. Um, but yeah, so I, again, I don't want to totally excuse his behavior because man, that was such a frustrating chapter. And it's one of my favorite chapters in like all of realm of the elderlings, just that, just the way you're feeling afterwards. I remember that chapter ended and I just felt like I had, the, like I felt like I had that argument with someone, you know, that weird kind of passive aggressive, like, well, what do we do now? I can't go to sleep like this. Like, this is just, awkward and everything that followed was so passive aggressive between those two that almost made me even more uncomfortable but yeah no in Fitz's mind everyone who has ever cared for him has done so out of obligation not out of any sense of like unyielding love there's been love involved there's been bonds there's been ties there's been things that have transcended their initial like purchased uh loyalty like shrewd he kept bringing up that pin and shrewd uh during this book but really fitz can't see bigger pictures he just can't and like you said sean like the molly thing the molly things even like it's not it's not just young um love or whatever it's it's kind of just this yeah it's idealism but this he thinks it's so tragic you know, this idea that, oh, you <laughs> yeah. know, that's more what it is. Where it's like, oh, my, my stepdad's still away with her and she's my one true love and I can't let I've her ruined her life. Home. Yeah. Like that's, that's not love. That's just weird ideas in a dude's head. Honestly. Yeah. Like, I, like, that's yep. like, I, that relationship yep. is, I'm so out on that. But um, anyway, so yeah. So, it, so being confronted, even if he's hiding behind a door and listening to the way uh, the fool talks about him in such personal uh and beloved manners it really freaked him out and it just he handled it in honestly the worst way <laughs> anyone could and that's saying something for fitz mm-hmm. but this is a necessary first step to him for him to be
be a little open to love and loving someone in return. Well, it also has, I think, my favorite ending, even though it wasn't the end. There's like another epilogue after it. But the, I think the book should, or it did. It, it ended with him in full talking and kind of making amends, right? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a beautiful way to end this book, even though, again, it's plot-wise, it's kind of odd. But I mean, he also just like directly apologized. He was like, I'm sorry I said those things. Yeah. And like, maybe, maybe love can grow. I don't know. I thought that whole section and that whole development was like the highlight of the book for me uh, in, in between a whole bunch of other good stuff, but that kind of like fracturing between those two, um, you just felt how more alone Fitz was not having night eyes then not having the fool to come back. He would come back and try to talk to him about, you know, events that happened or go back to Fitz and the fool and the fool would just passive aggressively act like Lord Golden, like who's Burke? Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. <laughs> And it was just, it was painful for it. You, you almost wanted to, you know, be mad at the fool at those things, but it's it felt bad for Fitz in that moment. Where should we go? Where should we go next? Uh, do you want to talk so about Molly's runaway child? Uh, yeah. Cause that'll, so what is his name? Burke's oldest son? Swift. Swift. Right. Um, who at the end of the book is now, uh, being apprenticed by Fitz, I believe. I think uh, so. Just another fatherish type of relationship to add under his belt or weird mentor relationship. And another magic to teach. Yes. So Swift is witted. He runs back. He runs away to Buck because Ketrakin is um, kind of given safe passage to all the witted Amnesty. folk. Amnesty. Thank you. Good vocabulary. To all the witted folk. And uh, he's one of the ones that show up. And Burak chases him down, shows up shortly after, uh, and probably the, one of the most powerful scenes in the book as well, where Fitz is hiding in the walls, listening to all this and watching all this happen, and kind of just sees Burak break down in front of Ketrigan and Chade over Fitz's mm-hmm. death, and essentially yep. blames the wit for Fitz's death and why he doesn't want uh, his own son to... Uh, follow those footsteps and I'll throw it to you guys. But that to me was just another way, another eye opening moment for Fitz to see that like you not being truthful about who you are and what happened is still so damaging to people you love. Like you're not protecting them. Yeah. That was a heavy, great chapter. Um, Like that part was just like chef's kiss. Exactly what I love about a lot of Robin Hobb stuff. And then like after that, Fitz has a bit of a fight with Hap at the one bar. Oh, yeah. And then I think the chapter ends with him talking to Nettle. And then the chapter's called Fathers. So it's like fantastic chapter, very thematically concise, and covers fatherhood in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Yeah, you're, that was a good point, Sean. I forgot about it. So that kind of wraps up Hap's... I guess storyline with him in a sense where they kind of, isn't that where they hug at the end of that chapter and they kind of make up and Hap kind of apologizes to him. Pro- yeah, 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 yeah. I think yeah, so. Yeah. Cause Sponja has left him. Yes. Yes. His, his uh, woman left him for the good looking fisherman that came back. Um, but that's when you finally get kind of Hap, you know, apologizing for, you know, all Fitz had to say was he was disappointing him and that really hit, hit a chord, but also Fitz kind of apologizing for not being present and handling things well 
and I think he just, like you said, that Bur- CM Burke breakdown like that kind of put things in perspective to Fitz uh, in that regard. I love how we've kind of not discussed Hap very much because it's just, eh. Yeah. A bit of a drop. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. I, it, Fine. Yeah. It was actually one of my more favorite storylines, honestly. I know it wasn't the most important one, but um, it just shows. I mean, it's just another um, parental thing Fitz is doing, but he's neglecting. He's not messing. <laughs> he's just neglecting. Did his, you just call that a parental thing he was doing? Well, you know, this whole thing is this whole book. He's being a parent in different ways to different people. And sorry, I was I was thinking of Jenna. <laughs> oh, that. Uh, well, and maybe in some circles, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, he's neglecting Happy. He's hanging out with Jenna and being hypocritical again, as we said, telling telling Hap not to sleep around with someone who you know and save himself or whatever. And he's just <laughs> sleeping with Jenna every you know all the time. It's not following. So I don't know. Yep. I thought I, I just. Yep. I, I like that development with him, even though Hap was just like super frustrating. <laughs> Hap was super frustrating. Fitz was frustrating in his complete inaction. He said a couple words and then was like, yeah, that's my job done. <laughs> uh, he'll figure it out. He's a good boy. So, yeah. 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 I'll, I'll just get in a bar fight or two. It's fine. I'll get arrested. I'll... <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I will, uh, talk to his master occasionally. I'll take him out, like talk to him for a second. Tell him not to be a bastard. I'll let him see Starling unaccompanied, <laughs> <laughs> which turns out was better than him seeing Fitz. All right. Fitz would just get angry every time they'd have a conversation when he didn't listen to Fitz. He just gets temper would rise, but like, oh, this is, make it worse. It's like, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's not too much of that, but I think that was a nice little contained story that kind of wrapped up within that book. Um, you know, hopefully he has it figured out, but, you know, we'll see. What was the cat's name that kept getting mentioned and then just like nothing happening with it? Fennel? Fennel, yeah. Well, what do you mean nothing? The cat was great. It was just wanted okay. to get, yeah. a, wanted no, to get it's on con- the lap. consistent. I'll say it's consistent. But is that like literally the only cat that Fitz runs into? <laughs> That castle's got to have a ton. Hunting cats. Uh, it's a great, oh, great cat name, by the way, Fennel. I know. What what did he run into in like when he was going into Jade's secret apartments? Is it a ferret or something? There's a ferret and a rat that it killed. Yeah, the spy rat. Yep. So, I mean, that's kind like of something. New wit beast. <laughs> something, I, I don't know. As I was reading through this, I remember just keeping an eye on like, is it too soon to bond with another animal? Are they giving us? Clues? Well, that's what Fitz like, says. Yeah. Well, we know how much Fitz says, uh, turns into reality later down, down the line. All right. So we got to talk about Alania. Kip, she, you're a big fan of her, right? I want so much more of her. You'll get more. You'll get more. Next book, my friend, what'd you think about just her whole family's introduction? And that plays a big miss. She's being married off to dutiful. She's, the ages were kind of freaking me out. What is she, 13? He's like 16 or something like that. Um, She's like, they're, they're less than a year apart, though. Oh, okay. That's not bad. Yeah, they're, they're like one, one and a half years apart, something like that. So, it's safe, safe to say she's not too enthused about this arranged marriage? Uh, no, very much not. Especially like the way that it's supposed to go with the Out Islands being subservient to Buck. Because that's never going to fly. 
So the Al Islands, which is interesting, they're, um, you know, the term, was it matriarchal? Yep. Yeah. So coming from them, the women are more powerful than the men in that sense. Um, and we kind of get a sense of that with her mom behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the fact that she has to kind of cow down to dutiful, who in her eyes is kind of like a little wimpy royal, um, was an interesting dynamic between those two, kind of feeling each other out. I like the whole sequence where Dutiful is playing like these was a board game or something with people, and he says girls can't play or whatever. It's not for women, and then uh, he starts playing it's, with some other woman or something. Yeah, it's not for girls. It's only for women. Right, and Alania sees that and is kind of insulted, and he has to win. You know, Dutiful. Is that when like all the betrothals start like challenging that- each other? I mean, they're Soon all ups- they're all upset that the out islands don't consider this betrothal like completely binding. But then dutiful, like, it's just willing to openly flirt with someone in front of his betrothed. Oh, he is Fitz's son. He's an idiot. <laughs> He's <laughs> imbecile. Um, he is a farseer. He is an idiot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So right after that, like Sean was saying, not very dutiful. <laughs> not living up to his namesake. Um, <clears throat> she essentially challenges him to a quest. I mean, and what, uh, you know, essentially Hob giving us our plot for a future book, but yeah. I'm saying, saying I mean, that, really felt like that. <laughs> saying that he has to go to the islands, this icy area and find a dragon hidden in ice and kill it. And, uh, you know, Chade and Ketrigan are about to speak up cause they're insulted and saying, how dare you, you know, tell a, future king what to do and dutiful stubbornly says i'll do it (laughs) and you have to come with me essentially if you're gonna you know live up worthy of me and that kind of sets in motion our our journey into the next book and of course jade says yep fitz you're going to (laughs) (laughs) and they plan on keeping the fool away (laughs) by not planning to keep the fool away hold on to that thought going into (laughs) the next book um so just, yeah, any thoughts about the Islanders or Alania? I, I think I kind of agree with you. There wasn't too much, um, but I like that she kind of paced it out well to make them mysterious. I thought they were, they were very rude to, you know, Buckkeep and Ketrick and all that. I, I wanted, I was like, they should just have Dutiful, like, marry Malta, and then, like, have an alliance going. There. <laughs> I just want more going. Malta. How many alliances yeah. can Malta be in? More, just more. <laughs> <laughs> but that—that that was my hope when I was reading it. But uh, I guess, I guess the best I'm gonna get is the Out Islanders. But yeah, I thought they were really rude and annoying for the most part. But I guess I, I thought they were a lot more honest than the folks at Buck. And they I thought honest. Fitz thinking barbaric, barbarian. Wow, that sounds awful. That sounds abnormal. Yeah, I can't believe she's like this was hilarious. <laughs> right. Especially like coming off a live ship and comparing yeah. that, that to Fitz. Yeah. But like these people, you know, raided their, their coast and, uh, forged their people for years. And they come in like making demands, acting like, you know, they don't want to be here. They run me the wrong way. I mean, there's two groups going on. I mean, very clearly, at least two groups. There's Eliania and Piotr, and then there's her father's family. Arcane, mm-hmm. Bloodbane, whatever. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Uh, who are probably in league with the Antichrist. So, 
take that as you will. The part of them is supposed to be evil. Part of them is supposed to be just like easily bristled by all the million threats they're getting. Not even threats, insults they're getting from the people at Buck constantly. When you say Antichrist, you mean the other white prophet or? I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 We find out that Alania is tattooed and mm-hmm. was tattooed by the, was it the pale woman? Mm-hmm. And so is the fool, which yeah. the fool, when the fool hears about those tattoos, shows them the fits. And, you know, I thought that was a cool little world, not world building, but lore building to, I guess, the bigger story at hand. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So there's some connection here that they'll definitely play a big part in, um, you know, and these tattoos, at least on Alani, are like kind of pulsing and like almost alive. It feels like where the fools are more tattooed and dead, you know? Yeah. Living. I want to know how this curse magic works and I want to know how this destiny magic works. Yeah. The the destiny stuff is definitely coming into play. It felt like Hob was just like laying it down to be like, all right, get ready. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I was like, wow, I was really guessing at it last book, but this book, (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was the biggest kind of reveal is just, seeing that they have a bigger story to play and, you know, the cutesy stuff with dutiful and Alania that frankly, you just get more of their relationship in the next book. Um, all right. So we're at an hour. I think there's something we got to talk about. Uh, I almost forgot, but that was one of the big, probably the next biggest moment we haven't talked about. So the forming of the coterie, I Uh. guess, I guess essentially I'll start with, you know, it begins with Fitz kind of, ending the piebolds and that whole storyline. He follows civil and finds what's that guy's name? Langram, the one armed guy from the first book. And, um, you know, kind of, they're about to kill civil Fitz knocks the door down and literally kills someone when he knocks the door down. I thought that was funny. (laughs) Guy just dies (laughs) as he burns us through. And then, um, best fits action scene in two books. Yes. I've been waiting for it for a while, but it was, that was intense. He kills both of them. And then he, uh, I thought was really cool. He also then has to go and kill uh, the one-armed piebald's horse because he didn't want him to transfer into the horse like his sister did from the first book. So he runs out in front of all these people and (laughs) slaughters this horse like a madman, (laughs) bleeding everywhere. And then uh, essentially collapse, gets arrested, um, gets thrown in jail while he's like practically dying. He has no, and which I will add, I thought added a nice twist where he was so resentful for that, that in the moment where no one came and saved him because they didn't want to tip, you know, one who he was, uh, one to make it look like Ketrigan sent someone to kill people who are witted that would mess up all her governing plans. So they kind of had just let him rot in the cells until they could get him out. And just his yeah. internal resentment for that was so fits like, you know, almost like came second nature to him where he's like, you know, these people don't care about me. They're letting me in. So yeah. we get that. And essentially he's going to die. I mean, not the first time, obviously that we've seen this, you know, this old song. Um, and the way that he is saved is that the fool, dutiful Jade and uh, thick come together as a coterie and bring him back to life. Uh, and it was almost, kind of almost hallucinogenic the way it's done and fits his mind. You know, uh, he's just hearing voices out, like hearing them kind of put it together and scramble and try to figure this out where no one had, none of them have any training with it. Well, he was still alive, right? He just was almost dead. Yeah. He was like on death's doorstep, essentially. Um, he was, it wasn't like he was dead. Uh, 
Yeah, for like he, really bad sword wound and. Yeah, he was like, they pretty much said like he's gonna die if we don't save if Dutiful essentially doesn't stitch yeah. him back up. Um, but with all their holding hands and each one, kind of like you said in the epigraphs, each one has a unique ability to help in this regard. The fool has a, I think Fitz says the fool had a sense of my touch or Verity's touch to it. Uh, dutiful, uh, you know, is my blood. Chade, I don't know what Chade did. I, he, his little power brought something to it and fixed just immense <laughs> amount of skill um, was able to do it. So Chade brought the anatomy. Oh, that's right. Yes, Chade brought that anatomy. Good. He knew how to. He knew how the body parts were supposed to get put together. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I thought that was one of the highlights of the book too. I mean, that was like a powerful and just intense moment where you're like, "Oh, this is all coming together." And you know, they leave you breadcrumbs, like you guys said about coteries in the beginnings of the chapters, how important they were, and then you're like, "Oh, it's coming together." I would say that could maybe add one person. We'll see if that happens, but uh, <laughs> you know. You could maybe, yeah, definitely are going to. <laughs> <laughs> could fit something in there. Um, what'd you guys think about that chapter? Even though you can talk about the piebald stuff too, uh, if you want. I think it's possibly the most significant magical event uh, in between humans that has happened in decades. So, isn't that crazy to think about in this world? Yeah. Uh, th- this is the like. This is the chance to bring back. This is the chance to make sure that the chain of skill masters is not completely broken after Galen nearly killed everything. Yeah. And after Solicity failed at her duty as well. Mm -hmm. I thought there was a lot of gross imagery surrounding the sword wound. Like it was really uncomfortable to read. And then Thick comes in. He's like, it smells worse than dogs thinking here. (laughs) Because it's just like a festering, disgusting wound. I love the moment where Hap saw him and was like, oh, he really was sick. (laughs) And then I think it's also like when they're at his bed that uh, Shade calls him Fitz by name in front Mm -hmm. of Beautiful. Yes. Which may or may not have been on purpose, but. Well, Fitz was like dying in that moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was pre-healing. It was probably in, in a fit of distress. Yeah. But it was definitely, and yeah, I mean, it's probably a slip up. It's been maybe, maybe, yeah. Now there, there was too many clues where Chade was lose. Like you could tell he was losing a step mm-hmm. throughout the yeah. book, like with things. I think he just, yeah, we don't really talk about that much yet. But that kind of set up him trying to, you know, learn the skill. So we, we were, yeah. It, Medical experimentation gets real ethically questionable if you allow the IRB to be people who are suffering from the disease. Mm-hmm. I thought Hobb was gonna like, mo- like deny him outright the use of the skill because I don't know. It's just the inkling got at the beginning, but by the end, he's he's doing some stuff. Who called Rosemary? Because I did. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> like chat, like the first, like the first possible time that you could call. Yeah. I had no clue. I felt like an idiot. <laughs> I have a note that's on chapter four. I was like, oh, Rosemary's part of the court. Chade's dancing with her. That's definitely the apprentice that wasn't mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even when he said she and let that slip, I'm like, uh, yeah, nettle. What? What? 
As soon as Rosemary was mentioned as still alive, I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. She fits the bill. I mean, it's got the qualifications. She does. When you guys brought up, what's his face? Dutiful finding out about Fitz, so to speak. That I thought the most beautiful moment was him when Fitz is healed. By the way, his fit, when they healed him, they healed him completely. So his broken nose was healed. Yeah, that was rough. Uh, even though he said it back <laughs> for purposes to be undercover again, which was sad. <laughs> but all they put all the scars back. Right. All the all, yeah, the scars back on his body. They whole thing. Which I mean, I feel like that's some internal stuff that he's he needs. He's got demons. If he's I don't know. I, I mean, the dude bathes naked in a communal setting. That's true. True. They they would have noticed. <laughs> and. The, yeah, I mean, there's also negative side effects to skill healing, so they probably went overboard. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, they clearly had no grand design when they were healing him. They just wanted him healed as much as possible. Yeah, no, like, tact. Just like, yeah. boom, all done. Boom. We're going to take all of your body's reserves. <laughs> it almost insinuated that Fitz did it, though. Like, they, you know... It's it, not- people insinuated, I don't think... Fitz actually defends against that viewpoint. He was like, I was basically unconscious. Like, <laughs> well, he could have done it unconsciously, right? Uh, I don't know. Because it's so like dutiful, just focused on his. At that injury. point, it's your body doing it. Right. <laughs> anyway, so dutiful. I like the moment when dutiful talks with Fitz about, and kind of the way he says, talks about patience and said, she talked about you, her son, and all these moments and the letters between, um, his dad and uh, Burke and Verity essentially calling him a Tomcat in the letters. Yeah. Things like that, which I guess now that's how we get Tom Badgerlock. Um, interesting. That recontextualized quite a few things. Yeah. Um, but that, that was really beautiful to me. And that actually weirdly out of all the choked up moments, I guess the Burke one really choked me up, but that, that one too, just, just felt like a level of maturity we haven't seen from dutiful where he understood the gravity of the situation he was talking about and knew who yep. this person was and how important it was to have, you know, a living family member who knew his father. Um, that was really beautiful. And him telling stories about Verity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The letters really make dutiful understand him so much more. Sure. In a way that Fitz hasn't been able to see. And yeah, you know, I, sometimes I wish we got more patience, I don't, I don't know how you could, but it just, again, it just, those moments like that just show how important she was in Fitz's life, you know, to have some sort of motherly figure. Patience has to be kept off the table or at least out of the main court because she's too volatile. I love it. Like it's just a lot harder to contrive certain situations. If you have that much of a wild card in the room. Well, that's why they sent her up to, whatever town that is uh, or kingdom that she's just kind of running on her own. <laughs> she, and, she and Tilth. It's where Regal was, right? Or is from oh. Tilth or Pharaoh then. I, don't remember. I think it's Tilth. Okay. But they just sent her up said, Hey, you can have this. And she's like, running it like an amazing job. Yep. She's educated. Yeah. It speaks her mind. I don't know. Any last honorable mentions you guys want to get to or any topics? I do actually have one, but I'll let you guys go. If have well, I appreciate any series that has magical contraception in it. And this one has now reached that bar. 
Wait, what is the magical contraception? <laughs> uh, Jenna has a, an anti-conception charm. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, she does. And it turns out that every head witch with sufficient skill and charms can make one of those. There's a lot of interesting head witch charms, like, you know, the one from Fool's Aaron where... And the fool's trying to learn. Yeah, yeah right. Mm-hmm. He took an interest in it. Yeah. I mean, the fool is possibly our greatest magic scholar and is being very stingy with uh, Bingtown news. Yeah. Like, we didn't talk about why the fool didn't say anything about their time there, or at least mm-hmm. not much. And that is because. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if you had an idea. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, why? Why no. now? Now I'm thinking. Why do I think that he doesn't really say much? They, they keep things close to the vest. I mean, knowledge is power to them. I yeah. guess I don't know. Also, doesn't want his, their own identity figured out. I, you know, he wants to play a whole bunch of different roles in a bunch of different places. And if they know he was in Bingtown, they were in Bingtown specifically for something. Yeah, that's about what I was thinking. Possibly. It was nice to like hear when Jack was saying thing, tell it like filling them in the fool in on stuff going on with Malta and stuff. And like, apparently, <laughs> Al- apparently Althea um, and Brashen have a uh, child now. Yeah. That was interesting news. Yeah. And Malta. Did we learn about, I don't She had two you. miscarriages. Right. Yeah. She has miscarriages. It's sad. Cause it's very hard for like rain wild people to conceive. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, she is Bingtown bread but you know right. wild she's, yeah right and like so, scale and scaly and stuff yeah. and like was immersed in the river yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i think it's only a matter of time yeah um but it was it was nice to get those little updates and um i don't know kind of heartwarming at least with brashen and i guess althea is angry that she has to you know brashen tried to tell her she has to like stay home or something i mean the fool does Good talk move, a little bit about Good move. it God. The fool like summarizes all of live ship in like a page and a half. <laughs> I know. Very, <laughs> very concise. Good storyteller. Um, I did quickly. I wanted to talk about, and you know, these end, like, these endings with Hobbs, she really doesn't pace them. Well, I mean, I like how it ended with the conversation with uh Fitz and the fool, but right before that, there's this whole witted delegation that she like shoves in there. Mm. Um, and particularly Webb. What did you guys think of him? Webb seems to be magical. He's very into everybody loves this guy. <laughs> yeah, Can you we... can't not like Webb. <laughs> Almost Web to a fault great. where you like can't help be suspicious, but you're like, ah, but he's so friendly. <laughs> he, he's like the guy from Parks and Rec that Ron like other hates. Ron. <laughs> yeah, other Ron. He's other Ron. Sam Elliott Ron. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I feel like he looks like him too, if I would uh... Oh he does, hundred uh, percent. But uh, I mean they that whole thing was interesting that she kind of threw that whole delegation in there. I had a note like, Oh yeah. Webb is a pleasant addition to the story. And this whole time I've been like, is that a typo? Like did I was meant to write, <laughs> did I mean to write thick or something? I'm like, right. okay, now, now once you said the delegation, I remember Webb is, he makes a great introduction. I mean, it's incredible. He's very pleasant, but like I, I, it's at this point, I still feel like I'm being told about his abilities more than I'm being shown them. Mm-hmm. Well, well he's witted, obviously. But like, it's not even abilities. It's just he's just got away with people that brings. Yeah, him to I know, and I'd love to see more of that in like dialogue form rather than Web like slowly convinced all of the people in Buck that uh, witted people aren't aren't bad people. Yeah, necessarily. I mean, Hob does a lot of like 
let me like film let me just give you a lot of like what happened here yep here like a paragraph real quick yeah Yeah. let's just let's just do a couple paragraphs of uh synopsis and then we'll move on yeah because fitz doesn't care (laughs) (laughs) yeah true keep it moving I well the the one moment with Webb where he's talking with like the city guard and like yeah you get the first moment and then nothing after but that was I thought that was good because they bring up Fitz oh in front of Fitz (laughs) and uh, (laughs) funny but saying like you know and he just kind of goes and say oh tell me more about this you know like it just you could you get a little sense of how he's just so uh, personable and kind of at ease with people you got a little glimpse of that with that you get a little Um, bit of it it's true uh, but yeah and he yeah and he he really has a you know, he always kind of goes towards Fitz too. It's, it's almost like you, you kind of said it, Kip, he has this magical ability to like, know who people, <laughs> people are, <laughs> like, do you know, he's Fitz. Like, <laughs> I don't know. He really, um, he did. I don't know. So. I mean, there's a lot of strong rumors about Fitz in the witted community. It seems like. Mm-hmm. Are we sure nobody would recognize Fitz? Even no, though? we're not. Cause he's not. It is impressive that no one recognized him, but all right, it's fine. Lastly, with that witted thing, I did that. I, I meant to bring this up. So it was kind of a background moment, but civil, I really like the payoff of why, like all this time Fitz is talking to dutiful. Like, why are you so trusting of this dude? Like, <laughs> like why, you know, and uh dutiful kind of goes on this whole spiel about why he finds him a friend and why he could have, even though he betrays him time and time again, um, at the end where civil kind of speaks up for the witted delegation and, um, you know, kind of saves the whole thing from falling apart. I thought that would, like he said, he said, dutiful could have had me killed multiple times. I betrayed him. I did this to him. He could have killed my witted cat. And yet he didn't because he's a trustworthy person person. And so are the farseers and that like kind of won people over. And I thought that was a good way of showing like, you know, because I was even questioning, like, dude, why do you hang out with this dude? This guy sucks. <laughs> he's, he's hanging out with the piebalds, you know, against his will, but still. And I thought yeah. that moment really paid off where it's like, it's kind of saw the value in kind of a, a certain loyalty or I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely just been transformed into most trusted retainer. But I will say that in another series, I would be seriously questioning the homoeroticism between Dutiful and Civil. I was going to bring that up. I meant to before I forgot what we were talking about, but I was going to say those two, I mean, I, I, there's more of a connection between those two than him and Eliana. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I meant to bring that up. There's oh, definitely, that's like the most homoerotic relationship. I felt like always hanging out with each yeah. other. You oh know, yeah. Um, that could have been like a, nice uh, in each other's rooms. Yes. That's right. Between each other's with their bond beasts to keep safe after they die. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Fitz is very uncomfortable with the relationship. I mean, it's there's a lot of clues there. Oh, yeah, lots of clues. That Fitz being uncomfortable, great clue. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah, it could have been like a, a Age of Madness Abercrombie type situation there. <laughs> hey, Fitz has or Kip hasn't gotten to that, so take it easy. Yeah, and <laughs> I would. I would feel, never will. <laughs> I feel like another thing we haven't really talked about is the issue of the fool's gender. And how as readers, we're almost conditioned to question it, but it's really none of our business. So I, I, I brought this up in chat. I forgot to bring it up. So like when Fitz said, um, what are you? 
like when he said, who are you? I was like, who cares? Like Fitz, it's, you know, who, you know, who the, the fool is because you've spent so much time with him. But when, uh, when Fitz said, what are you? I admit, I was also like, yeah, I've been thinking that this whole time because I mean, Kip, feel free to talk about this stuff. But for me, um, I, I just was never exposed to, um, uh, uh, what would you say? Kip, I don't want to get the term wrong again. I mean, I, I'd call the fool as like a non-binary at this point. Right. So non-binary. Yes, um, so for me, I was always like when it, I think that's why I was slow in live ships to put the Amber thing together because I was like, um, I just mm-hmm. assumed the fool was a he from Farseer. And then, you know, so I was also, but again, it's like you said it the best, Kip. It's like, it's not really <laughs> her business. There was one scene in the Farseer trilogy where Fitz questions the fool's gender, and it's never come up again. Well, Starling, he does because, like, Starling says something, right? Well, no, because uh, Fitz walks in on the fool half-changed. Oh, right. Oh. Uh, possibly, like, like, shirtless or something, I forget. And... Very uh, non-definitive features. Yeah, Fitz, Fitz had a question in his head, but like didn't really pursue it further. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of been floating as this dangling loose thread. And so as a reader, I I remember those kind of things. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then The Fool presented as a woman for the first, for, for all three books of Live Ship. And now The Fool is back to presenting as a man, but in a new guise and a new name. And a lot of The Realm of the Elderlings involves the reader predicting things, trying to put pieces together. This is just a standard fantasy, standard reading thing you do, but we're not being given any definitive evidence or point of view or statements one way or the other about the fool's gender. And I, I don't know. I don't think Hobb is the kind of uh, writer who's going to clarify it for us. I think, and you push back if you think I'm wrong, I think she's leading towards saying it doesn't matter that that's well, that, I mean, that's kind of what the choice not to give it to us will say. I mean, he's a white prophet. Like we don't even know if he's human. Exactly. I mean, I'm less willing to say you're an alien than <laughs> Fitz is apparently, but <laughs> I think there's just too much correlation with real, real world stuff that Hob puts in here to just say that, Oh, it's actually a different, they're actually a different species. I feel like she wants this on the reader's mind. And I think, honestly, I think, like, I think is a, white, it, a white prophet is just a, a very special human in my mind. Like, is it an intentional change though? I, I don't even know if he's actively or if they're actively deciding that this is how I need to be for this portion of my life. Or if they get molded by some force, I don't know how it works. Yeah, I don't know if they get more visions or if all of their visions happen early and then they just have to interpret and enact them. I don't Right. I don't know how it works. So yeah, regardless, like like non-binary is obviously the best way to put it. Cause it's very you know, it's it's like I mean most yeah, clear, we, concise way to put it. We see the fool function as both a man and a woman. Yeah. And yeah. the fool does not seem to be necessarily faking either. Mm-hmm. And this was published in like 2002. So go hop. Good yeah, go I, hop. I wanted to bring that up because I don't, I'm like in the dark. It's 2002. That feels ahead of its time for having this kind of stuff. Oh, this yeah. This kind of topic. 
dangerous. The fool is in super dangerous waters. Well, you can tell this world is not kind. I mean, it's very homophobic. Let's be honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously homophobic and anti-wit when you hear Jenna talk about it, but just the real world stuff like Starling's very homophobic. Our he- quote unquote hero of the story is clearly homophobic. I mean, it fits as homophobic. I don't know how you can't come away with that without him being, I mean, maybe he's progressively learning and yeah. And this is nowhere near the worst, like coming out that I've seen someone have a reaction to like, Mm-hmm. He, he, things can go much worse than uh, Fitz's reaction. True, but he's like openly disgusted with the idea of those. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and I love that that's being shown because it could it could also be too easy to just show that, like, oh no, everyone accepts it and it's totally fine, and mm-hmm. all the homophobia that was present in this world suddenly collapses and goes away because now it's our protagonist, and our protagonist can't possibly be homophobic. No, <laughs> Zob. <laughs> And I like how it was kind of piece by piece getting to that blow up because in the first book when he, when um, the fool kisses, uh, what is it? A civil, right? Kisses civil. Yeah. You you can see how uneasy Fitz was like, he wouldn't, you know, that that was a weird joke. I mean, you shouldn't be doing stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't outright homophobic, but it was, you know, it was bordering on it. You could say. I mean, it it was homophobic. It was, it was homophobic. Um, and then it just to an, you know to a very clear uh, extent in this book where he pretty much just says it to the fool's face. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, that whole I just like I just like how she can make the reader kind of feel, at least in my view, kind of uncomfortable, but good uncomfortable. Where it's like, oh wait, I'm I feel like I'm fits in this <laughs> this section. Like, well, I'm, I'm an idiot too. Um, you know, I think I like to think I realize my mistake quicker than fits, but who knows? Yeah. <laughs> also just i guess that's a good to- like thing with romantically with the fool there's not too many ins- i mean we see him with women but i don't know if that's gen you know like would you say he's bi or they're bi I, I, I would say that the fool um the fool has experimented with sexuality sure absolutely undeniable the fool has possibly loved people but the catalyst is the only love for the white prophet. Oh, oh I'm glad you brought that up. <clears throat> One of my favorite parts in that conversation when they were blowing up at each other was when the fool kind of scoffs at uh, Fitz and is like, you actually think that yeah. you're my first love? <laughs> you're the first one to come along? It's like, don't be naive. There was many others before you kind of thing. And it was, I don't know. I thought that was a good uh you know, showing that actually the fool has loved before and has been intimate with people before and had relationships and things. It's not, you know, Fitz isn't some golden, you know, I don't know, idol. I think Fitz is perfectly adequate at sex, but has horrible pillow talk. Uh, I don't know. Horrible. That, that first uh, little go around with Jenna was mighty disappointing in Jenna's eyes. And she said, so. <laughs> he was, he's like a wild beast that was very quick. <laughs> she said. Yeah, but, but there was a round two, so it's fine. That's true. Yeah, that's true. You, uh, you recovered. <laughs> yeah, adequate, adequate. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, no Casanova. Um, no. Anyway, all yeah, right. Even even though he's educated and erudite, <laughs> I can go with his hands. Uh, sorry, we can cut this. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, no, this <laughs> green team after dark fits edition. Good lord. Um, 
like like a lot of things about Fitz, I want him to be better at things than he is. Well, he's he takes things exactly as far right. as like he stumbles into them, and that's about it. Listen, the dude was terribly raised. He then secluded himself for like fifteen years. Yep. Of course, he's. I mean, this is all natural. That's the thing. It's like this makes sense. The dude yep. should be terrible at so many things <laughs> you know it's just um i don't know all right <laughs> any last thoughts uh i mean if you, if you start off like with the premise just alone for 15 years that can explain a lot right there oh yeah basically yeah. anything yeah it's so we uh, can get a kit prediction and that's i don't have any closing thoughts though yeah go ahead kip i feel like i've had a bunch this episode already but uh, I'm going to predict that they don't kill the dragon unless it's obviously evil. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can I ask, Kip, do you have any more sense into what the fool's whole Fate. prophecy uh, Just, yeah, in general, what their whole plan is, what they're trying to do. I think we asked you this after the first one, or maybe even asked after. I mean, which shift. part of it? They're trying to make sure that the Farseer line continues. And yeah. that fits is central to it. And I'm hoping that the death is either metaphorical or is going to come much later or somehow someone's going to come back from death. They, I mean, I guess they kind of brought up the answer. I just didn't know if you caught it in a conversation with Fitz. <clears throat> Something about the whole world, what it's going to look like. Uh, that was this book. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think I caught it then. Um, I, Return of dragons. I know that's going to be happening, yes. but like, yeah, yeah. sorry. Part. Is that a prediction? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they, <laughs> Fitz, Fitz and the fool have that conversation where he's, or cause the whole thing yes. is that no, it would fool, be, te- it would be terrible to allow dragons to go extinct. Right. And that's in, the fool's whole thing in like the lore of this world. That would be a terrible outcome. Mm-hmm. And Fitz is like, well, the, the world wouldn't be the same. We'd have dragons again. Or we'd have dragons. And the fool's like, we've always had dragons. Yep. It's like, yeah, that would bring back balance. Um, yeah, this book is when I was just like, oh, this is, you know, when you think of life at the end of live ship, what happens there? You're like, oh, okay. I see now where this is, why we have yeah. freaking serpent yeah. chapters in the beginning of every book. You know. the, uh, the white prophet might, the antichrist might have done a lot to, kill dragons from this world. Definitely possible. Yeah. All right. Those are good prediction. No children predictions. But... Children predictions. Uh, uh, Fitz is going to train under Selden and Tintaglia. Interesting. Real quick, is it odd to you that Selden is so important? How old is he? Like seventeen? <laughs> like when he? I don't think he's even that old. I don't yeah, know. He's an elderling. Yeah, it's true. We talked about yeah. this last time because he's an elderling. He has more memories and like maturity. He's a prodigal boy. That's right. That's right. It's he's like role. one of like three elderlings. <laughs> three. three, I think, so far. Malta, Rain, Selden. Malta, Selden. Oh yeah, Rain, Rain, Rain. I think we did a good job here. I mean, I have a bunch of sorry we didn't get to talk about Thick and his skilling music. We'll have to save it for another time. Oh yeah, his lullaby music. Um, I hope Fitz. I hope Fitz doesn't become an elderling. I hope he does. 
<sighs> don't want to see him with scales. I don't. I really don't. <laughs> I have high aspirations and high hopes for Fitz. But he'll probably just end up in the ground. Let's be real. I, I don't want I don't want to have to see fan art of Fitz with scales. <laughs> I don't I feel like, yeah, let's see. I'm excited for Kip to read this third book. Me and Sean know where it's going. Love, love what happens. Great book. It is. Um, I will draw an exception if he turns into a full dragon. He's allowed to turn into a full dragon. Follow the Verity route. Not going to happen, but he's allowed to. I would like that. Oh boy! All right, let's wrap this up. (laughs) We're at a solid. uh... And then he gets trapped under ice for a thousand years. He trades places. (laughs) <laughs> gets tortured comes back next series a thousand years in the future the fool is still the same age but everyone else is dead and gone there is one more trilogy which none of us has read okay. so you could wait, be true wait, wait you haven't <laughs> read fits in the fool no i keep putting it really off. i thought yeah. you did this whole time no i haven't read it i i've been saving it well i want it to be like it for us Saving it for us. Thank you, Yeti. Thank it you. It probably will be because I wanted to read it like a little bit after reading this series. So it felt like I'd been returning to him a while. But then when we're like, oh, let's do Tawny Man. I'm like, oh, well, I got to push this. I got to push it back again. <laughs> Somebody read it. Right, we got to pick up our pace then. No, no, please don't. I got a lot on my plate. Take your time. Well, I'm, I'm already I'm already halfway through Rain Wild. So I know I need you to slow down and, uh, <laughs> and give me some time. It's great. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's get out of here. Uh, thank you to uh, Craig for letting us play in your sandbox and talk about Hob when he hates it. And uh, thank you to Horizon Brave for getting this whole thing started. Thank you to Kip. Uh, can you tell me the sing- the song person's name? Because I don't remember it. Um, our intro and outro music is Galactic Damages by the Jingle Punks. Uh, thank you, Jingle Punks. All right, for Black Diamond, Kipton, I'm sorry, Black Diamond, for Sean, Kipton, and Yeti Beats, see you later.